Hello, this is Jeff Windsor, and this is Lucky Words, a podcast where we talk about culture, art, and a good deal of poetry, ideally all while we're outdoors doing something cool. It's the 3rd of April, 2023, and here at my house in Utah, it is dumping snow. I was going to go out for a hike today and do some recording for a podcast that I would post tomorrow. But instead, I am sitting at home and I am wishing that the weather were nicer, but I just don't have it in me to get out there and slog through this right now. The roads are bad. The trails will be bad. So I'm staying home. So breaking from my normal pattern of always doing it outdoors, today I'm doing an indoor poem. But actually, I'm doing one of the most outdoor poems ever. I'm doing a poem, an Anglo-Saxon poem about war, the Battle of Brunnenberg. This is a medium-long poem. Um, it's, it's two pages long in my copy of Anglo-Saxon Poetry, translated by Kevin Crossley Holland. Let me read to you The Battle of Brunnenberg. Athelstan the king, ruler of earls and ring-giver to men, and Prince Edmund his brother, earned this year fame everlasting with blades of their swords in battle at Brunnenburg. With all their well-wrought weapons, both Edward's sons cleaved the linden shields, cut through the shield wall, as was only fitting for men of their lineage. They often carried arms against some foe in defense of their land, their treasure, their homes. The enemy perished. Faded Scots and seafarers fell in the fight. From the hour when that great constellation, the sun, the burning candle of God eternal, first glides above the earth until at last that lordly creation sinks into its power, the battlefield flowed with dark blood. Many a warrior lay there, spread-eagled by spears. Many a Norse seafarer stabbed above his shield, and many a weary Scot surfeited by war. All day in troops together, the West Saxon pursued those hateful people, hewed down the fugitives fiercely from behind with their sharpened swords. The Mercians did not stint hard hand play to any of their heroes who, fated to fight, sought this land with Anlof, sailed in their ship's hold over the surging sea. Five young kings sprawled on that field of battle, put to sleep by swords. Likewise, seven of Anlof's earls and countless in the host, seafarers and Scots. There the Norse king was forced to flee, driven to the ship's prow with a small bodyguard, and the little ship scurried out to sea. The king sped over the dark waves and so saved his life. Constantine, too, a man of discretion, fled north to the comforts of his own country, deprived of kinsmen and comrades cut down in the strife. That old warrior had no reason whatsoever to relish the sword play. He left his son, savaged by weapons on that field of slaughter, a mere boy in battle. That wily, grizzled warrior had no grounds at all to boast about the fight, and neither did Anlof with their leavings of an army. They could scarcely exult that things went their own way in the thick of battle, 
at the crash of standards and the clash of spears and the conflict of weapons and the struggle of men when they grappled on the slaughter field with Edward's sons. Then the Norsemen made off in their nailed boats, sad survivors, shamed in battle. They crossed the deep water from Dingus Smear to the shelter of Dublin, Ireland once more. Likewise, both brothers together, king and prince, returned to Wessex, their own country, exulting in war. They left behind them to devour the corpses, relish the carrion, the horny-beaked raven garbed in black, the gray-coated eagle, a greedy warhawk, with its white tail, and that gray beast, the wolf in the wood. Never before this were more men in this island slain by the sword's edge, as books and aged sages confirm, since the Angles and Saxons sailed here from the east, sought the Britons over the wide seas, since those war smiths hammered the Welsh, the earls, eager for glory, overran the land. This is the story of an authentic battle, which did happen in the like 928 A.D. Happened in England, where the English king Ethelstan was uh, being attacked by forces from uh, from a number of places in the north. The Scots were coming down, the Irish were coming down, some Norse were coming down, uh, some Welsh were coming over still kind of from the north, even though Wales is actually to the west. But uh, he was being attacked from all sides. But he was a good politician and had made many friends and was able to gather people together to, to join together and to uh, form a union, fight this one battle. It was a one-day battle. And at the end of the battle, uh, the English held firm and the... Uh, all of the others were scattered. Um, much blood was spilt. There is a lot to take in in this poem. There's, there's names, there's details, and frankly, almost none of it matters. There was a battle. One group that was coming in was unsuccessful. The defenders prevailed. And if, if you know that, you know most of what you need to know. But what I get from this poem, as I do from almost all Anglo-Saxon poetry, is that, that sense of being there. There's something so guttural in the language. The poetic styles that were used by the Anglo-Saxons is, is different than what you get in continental poetry and different than what's in later English poetry. Uh, we don't have the same uh, rhythmic structures uh, and just they, they don't worry much about rhyme and especially we're reading it in translation so whatever was there is going to be lost. This of course has to be in translation because the Anglo-Saxon that this was written in while it is the basis for the English that I'm speaking and you're listening in today it's it's indecipherable to us. I can't get anything out of it. Middle English? Yeah, I can do Middle English, but Anglo-Saxon or Old English, it is just much too difficult. It's a foreign language. Part of what makes this poem have that kind of, of guttural resonance is its use of alliteration. 
the wolf in the wood. Scots and seafarers fell in the fight. Many a warrior lay there, spread-eagled by spears. Many a Norse seafarer stabbed above his shield, and many a weary Scot surfeited by war. I mean, listen to all of that, those S sounds, spread-eagled by spears, surfeited, stabbed, shield, Scot, surfeited. All of that just gives it this this grounding that we can tell this isn't just a prose account. There's something inherently poetic, even when it's not using the poetic forms that we are most familiar with. There are, of course, other just beautiful little uh, poetic phrases that would work in any language. The crash of standards and the clash of spears at the conflict of weapons and the struggle of men. First, we have four parallel structures in there, blank of blank. So crash of standards, clash of spears, but also clash and crash. And you really feel the piling on that you get there. I'll end with two things. One, the victory here wasn't particularly long-lived. About 50 years after this poem is written, there's another great uh, poem written about another great battle called the Battle of Malden. And then, of course, 50 years or 70 years after that, it's 1066 and all that. It's the invasion from the south where the Normans come over. They are victorious and it changes England and English forever. Because of the Norman invasion in 1066, that is where we have the combination of the Anglo-Saxon and the Norman-French that those two blending together turns into Middle English, which then evolves into the English that we speak today, coming from both of those roots, the Anglo-Saxon and the, the Latinate French. For the second reading of this, I'm going to do something a little different. Rather than read the poem, I actually have a version of this poem that's still me reading, but I've recorded it multiple times and laid it so that it's coming in different ears. Uh, The stereo effect for this should be pretty noteworthy. If you're listening to this not in headphones, it probably won't have the same impact, but if you're listening in headphones, you will be able to, you know, sort of close one ear and listen to it clearly in one or the other. But the two together, you will still be able to understand all of the language if you really concentrate. But part of what I'm trying to do in this is just for fun, communicate the chaos of battle by doing this more creative recording style. I'm planning never to do this again, so if you hate it, Just know this won't be a regular feature, but as long as I'm stuck indoors and as long as I'm not able to, uh, you know, get on the trail and do my normal thing, I may as well spice it up some other way, right? This is the anonymous Anglo-Saxon poem, The Battle of Brunnenberg. The Battle of Brunnenberg. 
Athelstan, the king, ruler of earls and ring-giver to men, and Prince Aedmund, his brother, earned this year fame everlasting blades of their swords in battle at Brunnenburg. And with their well-wrought weapons, both Edward's sons cleave the linden shields, cut through the shield wall, as was only fitting for men of their lineage. They often carried arms against some foe in defense of their land, their treasure, their homes. The enemy perished. Faded Scots and seafarers fell in the fight from their hour when the great constellation, the sun, the burning candle of God eternal, first glides above the earth until the last lordly creation sinks into its bower. The battlefield flowed with dark blood. Many a warrior lay there, spread eagle by spears. Many a Norse stabbed above his shield, and many a weary Scots surfeited by war. All day in troops together, the West Saxons pursued those hateful people, hewed down the fugitives fiercely from behind with their sharpened swords. The Mercians did not the stint hard did hand stint play hard to any of the heroes, any of the heroes who faded who to fight, to fight sought, sought this land, land of Anloth, sailed, sailed in the in ships hold over the surging, surging sea. Five, Five young kings sprawled on the field of battle, put to sleep, put to sleep by, swords. by swords. Likewise, Likewise seven of Anloth's earls and countless of his hosts, seafarers and Scots. There, there the Norse, the Norse king, king was forced to flee, driven, driven to the ship's, ship's prow with a small, small bodyguard, bodyguard, and the little, the little ship scurried, out, scurried to out to sea. The king sped, the king over, the sped over the dark waves and so, and so saved, saved his life. Constantine, too, a man of discretion, fled, fled north, north to the to comforts, comforts of his own, of his own country. country. Deprived of kinsmen and comrades, cut down in the strife, that old warrior had no reason whatsoever to relish the sword play. He left, he left his, his son, savaged, savaged by weapons, on that, on that field, field of slaughter, slaughter a, mere a mere boy, boy in battle. battle. That, that wily, grizzled warrior, warrior had no had grounds no at all to boast, about, to the boast about the fight, and neither did Enloth. With their leavings of an army, they could scarcely exult that the things, things went their, went their own, own way in the thick, in the thick of, battle. of battle. At the crash of standards and the clash of spears, at the conflict of weapons and the struggle of men, when they grappled on that slaughter field with Edward's sons, then the Norsemen made off in their nailed boats, sad survivors, shamed in battle. They crossed the deep water from Dingesmere to the shelter of Dublin, Ireland once more, Likewise, Likewise, both, both brothers, brothers together, king and prince, returned, returned to, Wessex, to Wessex, their own country, their own country exulting in war. They left, they left behind them, them to, devour to devour the corpses, corpses relished, relished the carrion, the, the horny raven garbed, garbed in black, the, the gray-coated eagle, a greedy, greedy war hawk with, with its, its white tail, and that gray beast, the wolf, in the wood. 
Never before never this, before were, this more were more men in the islands island, slain, slain by the sword's, by the sword's edge, edge, as books, as books and, and sages, sages confirm. confirm. Since Angles and Saxons sailed, sailed there from, from the east, east sought the Britons, the Britons over the wide, over the wide seas. seas. Since, Since those, those war smiths hammered, hammered the Welsh, the, Welsh, the Earls, eager for glory, eager for glory overran, overran the land. The land.